All right. First Thessalonians, or excuse me, Second Thessalonians. I'm used to saying First Thessalonians because a little over a year ago, we went through First uh, Thessalonians together as a church. Today is our first, um, our first opportunity to start our way through Second Thessalonians. And again, as we did in, in the first letter to the Thessalonians, we're going to see ourselves here um, very clearly. Um, for Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse, verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, these three brothers uh, who God used to help start that church in Thessalonica. To the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more. And the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. And that's a terrible place to stop because this is such a great letter. And in a normal year, I would go ahead and read the entire letter the first time through, but we're trying not to be together to be together too long. And so even though Dan robbed me of five of my minutes... He didn't. Um, we're gonna. We're just gonna. We're gonna stop right there. And I would encourage you this week read this letter. It's only three chapters long. It doesn't take very long, but read it in its entirety. And and again, see how it, how it relates to us. But as we as we begin this uh, this look at Second Thessalonians, remember that when Paul and Silas and Barnabas um, established planted the church in Thessalonica, um, they did so with a lot of opposition. So much opposition that finally, not long after they got things rolling with that, with that church, they had to be snuck out of town. They had to, they had to secretly leave at night, um, or they probably would have been killed. Now people would have tried to kill them. We've, we've seen people try to kill Paul, you know, throughout his ministry. And just like the Lord Jesus, until it was time for the Lord Jesus to die, he wasn't dying. You know, same thing with the apostle Paul, same thing with all of us. But they, they, had to, they had to sneak out, and that, and that church, even though it was facing a lot of opposition, um, a lot of persecution, it continued to, to stay alive, and then it continued to thrive, and then it continued to grow. And so Paul uh, wrote his first letter to them, and then when uh, reports came back after his first letter, he found out some things that he wanted to address again. But he, but he, but he establishes the letter with the foundation of our faith. Look what he says. To the church of of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Did anybody hear anything repeated there? God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Not once, twice. 
the church, the Thessalonian church, like the church at Midway, is in God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. In him. We're in him. The moment we as individuals put our trust in Jesus Christ, remember, that is the critical thing for every person. Every person that's ever been born, that is the critical thing. That you believe in Jesus Christ. That's the critical thing for Abigail right now. Can you look over there at Abigail? She's sitting there on her grandma's lap. The critical thing for that girl is not just that she stay healthy and then find a rich man to marry and then live happily ever after, all right? That's not the only, the only important thing, okay? The important thing for Abigail is that she believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because when she does, and that's what her grandparents are praying, that's what her parents are praying, that's what we're praying, and, and doing everything that we can to, to teach her all of those things, every opportunity that we have, like all of our children that we love, and all of our people that we love. But there's one hope for people, and that is eternal life and forgiveness of sins through the work of the person of Jesus Christ. That's why we have the cross up there. It's a reminder of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's not a decoration. You know, it's, it's not Christian decor. It is a picture, a reminder, a symbol of the love of God expressed to us through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. The perfect substitute. He was our substitute. Do you understand that? Do you remember that? He was our substitute. God says in his word, throughout the word, but specifically in Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. Because of that truth, Jesus Christ died. He died to die the death that every person who committed those sins, because he didn't commit any of them, he died on the cross to take upon himself the death that every one of us deserve to be paid for our sin. We don't have to die on that cross. Oh, we might, he says we have to carry a cross. In that sense, we have to die to ourselves to live for him. But we are never going to pay the penalty of our sins. That penalty would be our death and separation from God for all eternity in judgment. That's what we deserve. And when he says that the church of the Thessalonians is in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that it's the same kind of church that we are. We believe that our only hope is in Jesus Christ. Because the second part of that verse from Romans 6.23 is this. Not only the first part which says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord, in him. Because he tells us that when we believe in him, he makes us a part of his body, a part of his family. We are in him. That's why we were singing earlier this morning. Our plea is Jesus Christ. That's, that's courtroom talk. How do you plead? Jesus. 
That's it. I got nothing else. I have nothing else to offer for my defense. Only Jesus. And you know what the Father says? That is enough. Jesus is sufficient for you. You don't need anything else. You don't need church membership. You don't need water baptism. You don't need to pray. You don't need to do good things. Jesus is enough. Now, am I suggesting that those things that I just mentioned aren't things that we should do? Absolutely not. We should do all of those things, but not for our plea. Our plea is Jesus. He is our defense. He's the only one that could go to that cross and die for us. And we are in him the moment we put our trust in him. And when we gather together as a body, we as a body are in him. We don't stand on our own. We stand in him. We minister, we serve in him. We love in him. We believe in him. In spite of all the things that are going on around us, the difficulties, the, 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 the trials, even the persecutions. And the church of the Thessalonians was well familiar with the persecutions, which we will get into not this morning. In spite of all those things, our plea is still Jesus Christ. And we are worthy of all that God has, has planned for us and all that he's promised us simply because we believe in Jesus Christ. That's what the church of the Thessalonians did. And that's what the Apostle Paul is, is reiterating when he mentions God the Father, God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ twice. That's, that's who we are. That's, that's, that's what we believe. We have nothing else but God, the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And he includes in the second verse before he mentions the, the, the two parts of the Trinity that he mentions here, grace and peace to you from them, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, from him. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. The reason we're in him when we believe? Because of his grace. I like the, the anacronym for grace. It might help you remember it. it. helps you understand what it means, taking the first letters of the word grace and making this statement. God's riches, G-R, at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. There's the picture of grace again. Christ's expense. Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. Not after we started getting better. Not after we started the reformations of our lives. Not after we quit the stuff that we had to quit. Not after we started doing the stuff that we should start doing. 
while we were still sinners, while we were still lost and dead in our sins, while we were still awaiting to be paid the wages for our sin, Jesus died for us to give us God's riches. That's a lot. That's a lot. Romans chapter 8, he describes it as the inheritance of Christ. That's what we're going to receive. That's what we deserve now that we're in Christ. That's what we deserve now that we believe. That's what we deserve now that God has done his transforming work in our lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. And as he renews our minds to think correctly, to think like he thinks, so that we can serve him, so that we can worship him, so that we can honor him in all that we do. See, that's what life is all about now for those of us who are in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a greeting, but that's also a statement, a foundation of who the Thessalonians were. And he's reminding them that they're in Christ by his grace. And they've been given peace with God through the work of Christ. See, we were once enemies of God when we were dead in our sins and our, in our, in our trespasses. When we were dead in our rebellion against God, we were, we were separated from him. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that those of us who were once far away are brought, are brought together with him in reconciliation. He's reconciled us. He's, he's brought together these, these two impossible things to bring together. Sinful people and a holy God. The Lord Jesus reconciles the two and gives us peace. Peace with God and peace with each other, which is also almost impossible. But he does it. He does it by his work. Again, this grace and peace are so closely related. Peace is something that that we can work for. It's something that we can strive for. But ultimately, it's also a gift from God. It's included in the riches of God. Peace with him. Peace with ourselves. Peace in, in storms. We're, in, we're in some, facing some storms right now of various kinds. And, and all, some of us are, are facing different things and all of us are facing some things together. But we need peace. And here... In his beginning of this letter to the Thessalonians, he's reminding us as a church, he's reminding us as individuals, we have peace. We have peace with him. We can have peace with each other. We can have peace in our own lives if we'll remember who we are in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. If we remember that, in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the strife, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of our doubts and our anxieties and our fears, he will still give us that peace that passes all understanding as it's described in Philippians chapter 4. Peace that we can, that we can barely describe. A peace that we, that we, that we receive and that we possess. And somebody, somebody would ask us, 
how, how, are you, how are you getting through this? I, I can't see how you're making it. I can't describe it, but God's given me a peace. He's just, he's just helping me in his miraculous way. And how many of you have ever experienced that in Jesus Christ? You know, some of you did a little. Some of you did a little. How many of you have experienced that peace that passes understanding in the midst of incredible, hard-to-describe storms? Yeah, a lot of us, most of us. And if you haven't, remember that it's yours in Christ. It's not something you earn. It's not something that you conjure. It's not something that you, can, you know, connive for. It's not something that you, that you sow seeds of money in some TV ministry that's promising it to you. It's something that God gives you because of who he is and what he's done for you in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on to describe what that grace and peace, the possessors of that, through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, what people like that can look like. And look how he describes them. We ought always to thank God for you, verse 3, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you have for each other is increasing. See what's happening because of their foundation, because of who they were, because of who they were in, God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Their faith is increasing more and more. Do you understand what that is? Do you understand what faith is? Look at Hebrews chapter 11. I didn't have this ready for the for the screen, so uh, those of you that don't have your Bibles, just listen along. Hebrews chapter 11. A great, uh, a great definition. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, understand the context of that statement. It is in the word of God. All right? This, this statement about faith is inside part of the word of God. And so he's not, he's not in, in making this definition, he's not saying that just anything can happen if you believe hard enough. He's not saying that. He, it's in the context of the word of God. And then all the examples that he gives, and I encourage you to read that uh, this week, all the examples that he gives of people who live by faith, they did things according to the word of God. They believed this word. They believed that its author is God, and that he honors those who believe in him and who trust in him. Even if they can't see or completely understand what he's asking them to do. 
All the stories of that chapter then are people that do that. Who believe in someone that they haven't seen. I, I, think I'm sa- I think it's safe to say here that none of us were alive when Jesus was walking on this earth. But we believe in him. We believe in him. We're certain of his existence. Not because we saw him face to face, but because we believe, as the word of God presents him, we believe through the testimony of those who did see him, who, did, who were the eyewitness, uh, um, eyewitnesses of all that he did. We believe in him because these witnesses have been preserved for us in the word of God. And we are so sure of it that we're basing our lives on everything that he said and everything that it it says that he did and everything that he's promised. We're basing our lives on that. You all wasted $960,000 in 2020 if it's not true. We believe it so much. We even put our money into it. We believe it so much that we waste almost every Sunday morning together. Because that's what it would be. Well, it's still fun to be together. But ultimately, it would be a waste. The Apostle Paul said, if Jesus hasn't risen from the dead, which again is the foundation of our faith, he said, we're to be pitied more than all the other people, you know, put together. Because we believe a lie. But see, we don't believe it's a lie. We believe it's the truth, and that's what faith is. Being certain of that. So much that we're, we're, we're banking our whole lives on, on him and what he's promised. Our eternity is riding on the truth of his word. We believe that. And the Thessalonians, going through the difficulties that they were going through, just like the Midwayans, going through the difficulties that we're going through, our faith is increasing more and more. Instead of decreasing because of the difficulties, it's increasing. Because we are seeing in our very experience, we're seeing the word of God be fulfilled. We're seeing his promises come through in our own lives. I already asked you to show your hands if, you, if you've been experiencing or have experienced the peace of God. That's, that increases our faith because he said that we would. And he does that. And then even when we don't feel the peace, we still believe. And we still act on what he says in his word, even though it's difficult, even though it's hard. And we read in his word day by day and we find out that we're not the first ones to go through this and that God has been faithful to them and he will be faithful to us. And so our faith increases more and more as we continue to experience the lives that he's led us into, to to live here, to live together, to experience life together in this context. And then within this, this corporate context, then all the individual things that we go through We encourage each other to continue to believe the word of God, to continue to believe that what it says about the Lord Jesus Christ is true. 
and all of his promises are for us. You see how much alike we are with the ancient Thessalonians? That we can also say, like theirs, like their church, we're growing in our faith more and more. Let's bow together in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the way the Apostle Paul exalted you in this letter, which you inspired, which you've preserved, which we now hold in our hands. We see this wonderful statement of your grace and of your peace and of this gift of faith that you've given us. We praise you for allowing us to identify with that great group of believers in first century Thessalonica. We thank you for your faithfulness to them through the various struggles and persecutions and trials that they endured. And as we look into those things and find out more about them, Father, we thank you for the encouragement that we're going to receive through our own trials and difficulties and persecutions. And we thank you that as you were faithful to them, you are still faithful today and you will be to every generation of believers until Jesus returns. Father, we pray for those this morning who are grappling with this, who are trying to decide, should I believe? Is it believable? Father, I pray that you would give them that gift of faith and the courage to believe. Help them to see that it's based on the most reliable and the best evidence ever presented in all of history. And that they can trust what your word says about you and what you've done and what you will do. Give them the courage and the faith to believe, to become a part of your family, to become a part of your body, to become a part of your church. And Father, those of us who believe, we thank you for the foundation that we possess through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are in you. That no no other part of the foundations that we've built are sufficient, that only Jesus Christ is sufficient. Express through your grace, your riches, Father, at the expense of Jesus Christ, your son. And we thank you for the peace that you give us, peace with you that we can count on for all eternity, that we have no doubt that we will spend eternity with you because of the peace that you've given us. And Father, the peace that you give us to walk through these lives day by day with each other in our, in our own hearts and minds. And so, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the foundation that it is for our lives. And we pray that you would make us fruitful 
as we continue as your witnesses in this uttermost part of the world. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.